Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. I want to tell Mr. Putin, stop this behavior. They shot down a United States war plane. The Black Sea doesn't belong to Russia. It belongs to many countries. Silicon Valley Bank. Call it a bailout. The banking system is safe. It is a serious problem. Does DHS have operational control of our entire border? No, sir. Close the border. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3, 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a Wednesday, and uh, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to be joined by a uh, special guest, E.J. Antoni, e. Antoni, I should say, with the Heritage Foundation. Uh, he has written extensively on this uh, bank failure, the Signature Bank in New York, and also the... Uh, SVB Bank out in California. We'll talk about that. Uh, the more that comes out about this, the <laughs> the guiltier the Democrats look. Uh, we'll we'll get into more of that in a little bit. Uh, first off, though, the uh, North Carolina Supreme Court um, got together today and uh, are reviewing and uh, rehearing the uh, voter ID case. On December the 16th, the outgoing Supreme Court's 4-3 to three Democrat majority upheld a trial court's decision to throw out the law. The Democrat justices all looked at the woke agenda and agreed the law was unconstitutional because of, wait for it, racially discriminatory intent. You know, what's interesting about this, too, is the fact that, uh, I mean, first of all, <laughs> are they mind readers? Racially discriminatory intent. In other words, they have the ability to look at what what's on paper and uh, then accuse. Stop think about this. They're accusing the legislators of all being racist. That's why they said it was illegal, because of racially discriminatory intent. Remember, too, though, that this should have gone to a North Carolina appeals court where Republicans held the majority. But instead, the Democrats on the Supreme Court said, no, 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 no. Uh, we're going we're gonna to ignore protocol. It's amazing how they always want to talk about protocol when it's in their favor. But we're going to ignore the protocol of letting the lower court, the next court up, hear it. Because we know we are probably going to get kicked out of office, or I think actually at that point they have been kicked out of office, because they heard this in December after the after the election, so they knew they were going to own the outs. But they said, yeah, yeah, we're just going to skip over the appeals court, and we'll hear it, and we'll make sure that the voter ID is, is declared illegal because of racially discriminatory intent. Two weeks later, two of those Democrats left the state's high court to Republicans elected by the people. Now, one, Sam Irvin, was running for a re-election. One retired. But two Republicans, one over the two Democrats. So b before the Democrats scream that, you know, th this is usurping the will of the people, I don't think so. Court rules allowed Republican legislative leaders to seek a rehearing in the case titled Holmes versus Moore. The current court has a 5-2 Republican majority. This, by the way, is uh, out of the Carolina Journal, if you want to read it for yourself. Uh, the current court, with its 5-2 Republican majority, agreed in February, just last month, to revisit the ID law, which is known as Senate Bill 824. Now, some great questions 
by one of the new justices, Trey Allen. Again, the last court said it was the racial discriminatory intent. So, Trey Allen asks, what is the direct evidence in the record that legislators who voted for SB 824 intended it to be discriminatory? Then he went on to ask, are there any statements by the legislators, for example, around the enactment that you can point to that would make us understand how the court came to the conclusion that they had racial discriminatory intent? Great question by Trey Allen. Attorney Paul Brockman, who is representing the voter ID critics, said there is none. There is no direct evidence. This law does bear more heavily on African-American voters because they're disproportionately more likely to lack qualifying ID, more likely to face difficulties acquiring ID. The same old racist statement. Oh, if you're black, you don't have the responsibility to have a voter ID. I mean, my goodness, you can't expect a black person to have a... My, this is ridiculous. And this is a racist statement. I'm not a black man. If I was, I would be infuriated over this. Brockman said, as evidenced under the earlier ID law, more likely to run, in, quote, more likely to run into difficulties with the reasonable impediment provision. They've got to have an ID. Oh, that's an unreasonable, that's an impediment. The people can't vote then. Allen questioned how the law could discriminate against any voter. Quote, the legislature acted in what you called a lame duck session to avoid having to pass a watered-down version of the voter ID law, Allen said to Brockman. I'm just curious as to what you think that would be, because the law in front of us provides IDs free of charge and doesn't actually prevent anybody from voting. <laughs> Bottom line here is, certain people want to cheat, and this is going to prevent them from cheating. Justice Phil Berger, Jr. questioned the emphasis on the prior voter ID law struck down by federal judges. Quote, what you have argued is that because of the history in North Carolina, because of the previous legislation, that the legislative act in question here, SB 824, is somehow impermissible because of connecting those dots. At what point is there any severance of that line? At what point... Is the taint removed such that this legislation, under your argument, could be passed by the legislature? In other words, this guy Brockman is saying, well, because of things in the past that were, cut, were uh, pushed away, declared to be illegal by federal courts, because of those past things, that automatically means this can't pass muster. Well, truth of the matter is, the Supreme Court basically said that uh, voter ID is perfectly legal. I mean, it's gone all the way up to the Supreme Court. In fact, that's one of the things that the legislature did is when they passed this voter ID law, they went and patterned it after the Ohio law that was approved by the United States Supreme Court. So, I mean, once we get this out of the way, I don't think there's going to be an issue with the federal courts. If there is... They'll be back at the Supreme Court. I mean, why in the world, why can't we just say, look, the Supreme Court has settled this. If you're not going to go back to the Supreme Court to appeal it, why would any lower court overthrow it? 
All seven justices took part in the oral argument. Hours before the hearing, the court posted an order noting that the full court had agreed Berger could participate. Um, there was, because Phil Berger Jr. has a father that is a senator in the North Carolina Senate, um, liberals wanted him tossed. Uh, plaintiffs had challenged participation from uh, both Berger and Justice Tamara Berenger. Um, Berenger, b- both of them sat as as they should have to, to hear the hearing. Uh, the path that Holmes versus Moore, uh, the case took to get to the high court, was um, somewhat controversial to begin with. Uh, back in September of 2021, a three court, um, a three judge court, uh, two Democrats, one Republican, threw out the voter ID. And then again, it went. It, was, it should have gone to a court of appeals where the where the Republicans were in the majority, the clear majority. Um, what was it? I mean, it was like ten to five, and uh, the Supreme Court said nope, nope, nope. Um, basically, the ID opponents went forum shopping and appealed to the Supreme Court, where they're in the majority. Please jump, you know, t- take this away from the appeals court. You hear it because we know we can win with you. Yeah, justice is not blind. And, of course, now all the liberals are screaming, oh, wh- how, how dare these Republicans intervene, <laughs> overturn the previous North Carolina Supreme Court. Uh, the voter ID law faces a challenge in federal court and an 8-to-1 ruling issued in June of 22. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled the state legislative leaders had the right to intervene in the federal case to defend the voter ID Originally scheduled for the trial in uh, January of 2022, the federal case has not yet been rescheduled. No documents have been filed in the case since July. So that's where it stands, and uh, my hunch is that it is um, pretty likely that uh, the new North Carolina Supreme Court will, I mean, listen, the, the questions asked by Diaz and Allen today, the two new justices, would have been very, the line of questioning would have made those people that want to see voter ID a reality, it would have made them very optimistic. And the Republicans that had already been on the North Carolina Supreme Court, they made their their feelings pretty clear when they wrote the uh, when they released the minority opinion uh, last December. So I, my hunch is pretty strong hunch that uh, we will have voter ID. And again, I I would. Uh, think that the federal case would probably just disappear once that happens. Uh, although I'm sure the liberals will try to appeal it to a federal court. I don't know that that will work, but uh, they, love to, they love to appeal these things. They love to keep them tied up. Uh, the Daily Wire is reporting the Supreme Court of the United States has asked for extra funding for police protection in the wake of abortion activists targeting the uh, United States Supreme Court judges, because of the overturn of Roe v. Wade, the court submitted a budget request to Congress asking for an increase of nearly $6 million for additional security. The ongoing threat assessment show uh, revolving, evolving risks that require continuous protection. Of course, in June of 22, a California man was arrested near the home of Brett Kavanaugh, charged with attempted murder. Uh, there have been threats to other justices, including Amy Coney, Amy Coney Barrett. Um, there have been uh, a number of uh, situations now where we have seen not only the justices threatened, 
We have seen churches firebombed. We've seen pregnancy centers firebombed. Representative Anna Luna from Florida has reported Jane Fonda to the Capitol Police for threatening public officials after Jane Fonda suggested that the murder of pro-life activists would be the solution to push to push the pro-choice agenda. You've probably seen this. She went on the View, and um, when they were asking, okay, how you know the liberals on the View, the flaming liberals, the issue of abortion came up, and they said, well, what can we do? Jane Fonda, without cracking a smile, said, murder. Uh, now, she has come out and said, uh, well, it was hyperbole. You know, it was an exa- exaggeration. I mean, listen, Steve Scalise was shot. You have churches and pro-life centers that are firebombed. You have a lunatic fly across the country with his goal to kill Brett Kavanaugh. And you call for murder and you say it was hyperbole. Uh, listen, this is, the, the whole issue here is murder. The whole issue here is you're taking a human life, a life in the womb. And many people, including myself, think that's murder. And so you're going to then joke about, well, the one way we can get our way to continue to kill babies is to murder those people that want to protect the babies. And that's supposed to be, oh, it's a joke. It's hyperbole. Uh, Unfortunately, nothing is going to happen to Jane Fonda. I mean, it'll be uncomfortable. But bottom line is she will become a hero. Her uh, pro-abortion fundraisers will now feature Jane Fonda. She, her, her bottom line will probably increase from saying this, and I, I would be shocked if she actually gets into any kind of legal trouble. I hope she would. You know, it's amazing, too, is Whoopi Goldberg uh, was complaining yesterday about Mike Pence's joke about Pete Buttigieg, and, uh, which was a, a pretty harmless joke, uh, but she had no, no issues with Jane Fonda. Hey, we got to take a time out. Stay with us. Lots more to come on uh, Wednesday's edition of News and Views. We'll be right back. A collection of question marks. A lot of questions. Why? How? No logic, no reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Worst nightmare of their lives. This long nationwide nightmare. We'll start collecting clues as to the whys, the what's, and the where's. Neighborhood by neighborhood. Literally knocking on doors. This is your worst nightmare. The nightmare. It would be a nightmare. Worst nightmare. We will not end the nightmare. We'll only explain it. Explain to us. Because this, this, this is News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome back in. E.J. Antone is a research fellow for regional economics in the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation. His research focuses on fiscal and monetary policy. His work's been featured on Fox News, Fox Business, The Wall Street Journal, National Review, The Washington Times, The Washington Examiner, The Federalist, just to name a few. E.J. joins us right now to talk about the Silicon Valley Bank and the signature bank failures. E.J., thanks for joining us. Good to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, listen, there's a lot of finger-pointing going on as to why this bank failure occurred. I know you've written about it. I read your article that came out today in the Daily Caller. 
Um, some people are saying incompetence in the leadership or the absence of a risk assessment officer, woke ideology. If you had to narrow this down to one or two key reasons why this bank failure happened, what would you say? Oh, I, I think you definitely have to place the blame with the management of the bank because they were the ones that purposely engaged in highly speculative behavior. They were the ones that purposely failed to hedge their bets. In fact, they previously had hedged against things like inflation risk, and then they sold off all of those financial instruments and never replaced them. So they definitely knew what they were doing. And you know what? They deserve to face the consequences of their actions. And all of the people, by the way, who had deposits at this bank above the 250 threshold where the federal government guarantees them, you know, you can buy insurance, private insurance, to cover additional deposits. And if those depositors chose not to buy that insurance, then that's on them. You know, I don't get to have a, a bailout from the taxpayer just because I failed to buy flood insurance for my home and then my home gets flooded. That's on me. Do you know if any of those uh, depositors had that insurance? You know, we haven't, uh, we haven't seen any of that information be made publicly available. Because, you know, those are private transactions. That's not something right. uh, that is generally even available to the public. Can can the Biden administration do that? I mean, it sounds like he pretty much, by executive order, said, well, we're going to cover everything. I mean, I would think if the law says that the FDIC is going to, uh, you know, replenish up to $250,000, how does Joe Biden just come out and say, we're going to cover everybody? Well, what's really amazing, you know, you mentioned an executive order. We didn't even have an executive order. I mean, we didn't have an executive order. We didn't have, you know, a, a law passed. There wasn't an act of Congress. Nothing. This was done entirely by regulators. Regulators, by the way, who were asleep at the switch when all of this started happening in the first place. So this is all being done, you know, under the auspices of the Treasury and the Federal Reserve's ability to regulate the banking system and to try to prevent crises. Well, I mean, my goodness, by the time you have a legal challenge to this and it works its way through the courts, you know, the crisis is going to be over. And at that point, it's a moot point. So I don't even think there's anything anyone can do to push back against this kind of overreach. Take us back to the the blame game where Joe Biden came back and said, well, this is Donald Trump's fault, deregulation. Of course, we've heard a lot of people say, you know, just come out and say, well, that's not true. What, what was well, Biden referring to, and, and does it have any legitimacy or not? It, it, let me first say it has absolutely no legitimacy whatsoever for a couple of reasons. I'll explain them. The, the fact is that the regulation that was rolled back had to deal with systemic risk, meaning if this bank fails, is that is that falling domino going to knock over a bunch of other dominoes, and are they in turn going to knock over other dominoes? In other words, will it cause a cascading effect? Right. And the answer to that was clearly no. But so in, so in other words, if they did the stress test, right, the bank would have passed pretty much regardless. But what's really crazy is earlier today I looked into what the criteria for that stress test actually were and what the Federal Reserve assumes in even the most stringent version of that stress test was a scenario in which interest rates were falling, not rising, and with, in which inflation was about half of its current level. Why is all that important? Because the very things that brought down this bank were rising interest rates, not falling interest rates. So, in other words, even if you had performed the most stringent of the Federal Reserve stress tests, 
on a bank like SVB, it would have passed with flying colors. It would have even done better than the larger and better capitalized banks. How crazy is that? What's interesting about this is, uh, and the articles I've been reading indicate that it really was Fed policy that led to this. And I would say, I'm putting the form of a question, was it also a matter of laziness on the bank's part that they merely took this you know, zero interest money, millions and billions of dollars, and said, well, you know what, we're going to do the easy thing. We'll, we'll just make a couple of percentage points on this and uh, sit back. And in the meantime, the interest rates went up. Without them, they had no risk assessment officer there. I mean, am I on the right track here as to all the dominoes falling? Well, I'm respectfully, I'm not sure laziness had anything to do with that. I think judge, just judging by the numbers, just looking at these people's actions, it seems like they knew very well what they were doing. And what they were doing was over-leveraging, and they were counting on these, these United States treasuries to basically serve as, as the counterbalance on their balance sheet. In other words, when the regulators look at their financial position, they'll say, oh, goodness, they have all of these United States treasuries. Those are considered extremely safe assets. That offsets the other risky behavior of the bank. But those assets are only safe in terms of default, meaning, yes, you're guaranteed to get paid. The U.S. Treasury is not going to default and fail to make a payment to you. But there is no protection in terms of interest rates. So when it comes to the bond market, interest rates and prices move in opposite directions. As interest rates go up, prices go down. And so interest rates obviously have been rising. And the bank has known about that for months because interest rates have been rising for months. And the bank did absolutely nothing to protect themselves from the fact that their assets have been falling in price. Well, laziness or incompetence or malfeasance, whatever you want to call it, the, is, is this an anomaly or are you fearful that other banks are in the same ballpark? You know what? The largest of the banks, ironically, you know, the ones who last time around caused so much, uh, so many problems in the system, they actually seem to be right now in the best shape. It seems to be uh, mostly the smaller banks where this is concentrated with the, with a couple of exceptions, notably, the FDIC, and the Federal Reserve. You know, the Federal Reserve has actually lost so much money on its balance sheet, it is over a trillion dollars in the hole right now. How scary is that? Hmm. Our central bank, our lender of last resort, actually has negative equity. But the other big concern is the FDIC, who is supposed to be bailing out these banks. The FDIC invests all of its money in the exact same U.S. treasuries that have fallen so much in value and which caused SVB to go under. How insane is that? So now we're using devalued assets to bail out other devalued assets, and we're just going to have to print money to cover all of it. You, you mentioned in the article that you and uh, Peter St. Ong uh, wrote today in the uh, Daily Caller, uh, you, you addressed the, the comment that Joe Biden made about, you know, the taxpayers aren't going to have to worry about this. You know, they're not going to pay for it. But you pointed out that, I mean, if I'm reading you right, that, okay, well, the way they're going to end up, the way the taxpayer is going to end up with the short end of the stick is the fact that we're going to end up printing $25 billion to bail this out. So although it might not, the taxpayer might not get an increase in their tax bill, they're going to get a decrease in the value of their dollar, which might as well be a tax increase. Am I reading you right on that? 
No, that's that's a huge part of this. Absolutely, you know, inflation is still a tax. It's just a hidden tax. No one has to vote on it. The president doesn't have to sign it to law, but it is very much still a tax. It is a way to transfer wealth from you to the government. How else would you describe a tax other than that? Right. And this whole idea, by the way, that the FDIC is just going to get all of its money back by increasing the fees it charges to banks, and therefore people won't be charged anything. What do you think the bank does when it gets those those fees from the government? It passes them all sure. on to consumers every last cent. Right. So it might not. In other words, the, the taxpayer is going to get the short end of the stick. It just might not come through his tax bill. Let me ask you about the, the stock that um, some of these individuals, Greg, Greg Becker, who was with uh, the uh, the bank there in California, the SVB uh, Bank CEO and financial advisor, I guess he was, selling the stock two weeks before the bank went under. Uh, you know, highly uh, questionable at best. At worst, it sounds like insider trading. Could he be facing criminal charges? Oh, absolutely. In fact, we've we've already seen uh, the, the first stages of investigations already underway. That's not to say the investigations themselves are underway, but we're already uh, we've already seen the foundation laid to begin those investigations. So I, I have no doubt that before this is all over, uh, we're definitely going to have some people in trouble for exactly what you just said, insider trading. When you look at this, this situation, here's a very practical question for our listeners. When you look at the situation right now and you say to yourself, which bank do I trust? I mean, here in eastern North Carolina, we've got some, you know, recently some strong but small banks that have started over the last 20 years. We have, you know, we have the Wells Fargo. We have the the mid-sized Truist Bank. If if you were going out, I mean, you study this stuff all the time, and you were going to decide, I'm going to put my my savings in what I think is the safest bank. What what should those three, the the small local bank, the regional bank, or the national bank, which one would you most likely want to put your trust in? Well, if, if you're like 99% of depositors and your deposits are $250,000 or less, then you have nothing to worry about no matter where your money is because the FDIC uh, you know, continues to guarantee all of that money. If you have more than that, it's fairly easy to just have deposits in different banks so that you stay under uh, under that cap. But at the end of the day, no matter who you are, what the government has just shown us is that they won't let any depositor anywhere lose right. their money. They'll just bail people out. So I'm, at this point, I'm not sure depositors have anything to worry about. Well, except for the fact that is is this – are these the birth pangs? What happened at these two banks, the Signature Bank and the Silicon Valley Bank? Are these the birth pangs of what possibly is around the corner for our country as a whole? I mean, you mentioned how these larger uh, institutions, the FDIC and the Fed and everything, you know, they're all in, in – they're, they're not solvent. So uh, are these birth pangs for what might be years away or maybe around the corner? Well, we have to realize that what we're witnessing right now is the direct result of, of years of just printing trillions of dollars right. we don't have, right? The economic growth we've seen over the last two years has been fueled by printed money, not by actual growth. And so at some point, you need to pay the bill for that. 
And we have two choices at this point. We can either go through a tremendous amount of economic pain, in which case, yes, this is the opening salvo of, of a very bad recession, or option two, which is equally likely, is that the Federal Reserve is just going to continue down this path of keeping rates too low, and we're going to continue to print money. And again, we'll, you know, we'll have inflation. It puts off the day of reckoning, but I, I highly, I, I just don't see how that's a good solution to our problem. That's what got us here in the first place. Yeah, yeah. D- do you think, uh, I mean, long term, I mean, you're with the Heritage Foundation. I'm sure you have a conservative outlook on life. L- long term, are, are we in major trouble, or are we are we too far along that we can't correct this? Or do you think there is that there is a possibility that if we got serious-minded people in the White House and in Congress that uh, were responsible with our finances, that we could, uh, you know, correct the, this listing ship? Well, I, I may make some of my conservative colleagues angry here, but sorry, the truth is the truth, and the numbers are what they are. Um, you know, the, the point of no return has proven different for different countries at different times in different places around the globe. So we really don't know where that is. And I think conservatives over the last several decades have ended up with egg on their faces every time they say something like, oh, we've hit this percent of debt to GDP. Therefore, you know, we're really in trouble now. We don't, we don't know where, where that point of no return is. Okay. What we do know though is that we are headed in the wrong direction. We are on the wrong trajectory. And we need to turn this around as fast as we can, because at some point you do get so close to the falls that your momentum is just going to take you over. And this country is a big old battleship. She takes a long time to turn around, and it's imperative we start now, because we don't know. It it could be tomorrow. It could be in a year. We don't know where that point of no return is, and I don't think we want to test it. All right. Bingo. Let me let me finish up with this. Again, I go back to your uh, article in the Daily Caller today. Once again, you wrote, American families are worried that their bank deposits are no longer safe. Just a few days ago, Silicon Valley Bank became the second largest bank failure in American history. That was followed shortly by the Signature Bank, now the third largest bank failure, with the possibility of more to come. Do you think there are more to come? I, I think so, and, and it's just a matter of, is the government going to continue to bail these banks out, which, again, means they're putting off the ultimate pain we're going to have to right. go through. We just saw we just saw Switzerland is now bailing out uh, one of their biggest banks, Credit Suisse. That just happened a, a few hours ago. So are governments going to continue to bail out these bad actors, or are they going to allow them to fail as they should? Is it? I mean, looking back to 2008, the first time we went through this, if if we had not, you know, the whole too big to fail, if we had said, no, you failed, you're on your own, would we not be where we are today? No, no, we would not. If if banks knew that they could not engage in reckless behavior without facing the ramifications of their own actions, then they would not engage in that risky behavior. But when you continually show people that you will bail them out when they mess up, guess yeah, what? Yeah. They will continue to take risks and they will continue to mess up. Bingo! Don't discipline the child, <laughs> and you what? You're going to have a you're going to have an undisciplined child, and yeah, it it, it applies. Hey, uh, EJ, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Great stuff. How can folks uh, follow you? Uh, best place to follow me is on Twitter, at RealEJAntone. Thanks for what you do. Thanks so much for the Heritage Foundation. I don't know where we would be uh, with as conservatives, as Americans, if it wasn't for the work that you all do. do appreciate you.
Thank you, sir. Well, thank you for having me. You bet. Hey, stay with us. I'll be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. It is going to be a clear and cold night tonight, a low of 28. Warms up again tomorrow with a high of 65 with lots of sunshine. Tomorrow night's low around 45 with a few clouds. Friday is going to be the warm one, partly sunny and uh, partly cloudy, high near 75. Friday night, uh, clouds uh, will come in, and so will the rain on late Friday night and Saturday morning. A chance of rain Friday night late, 90% with a low of 54. So uh, looks like Saturday we'll have rain in the morning and then clear off in the afternoon. All in all, not too bad. A new Quinnipiac University poll has Donald Trump at 46%, Ron DeSantis at 32%, Nikki Haley at 6%, Mike Pence at 3%. And again, as we have said over and over again, these national polls don't really mean a whole lot at this stage of the game because it really depends on who does what in certain states. That's why they go to the early states, because when you win Iowa, when you New Hampshire, when you win South Carolina... That gives you momentum. So if uh, what would really be interesting is to take polls in those three states and uh, see who is leading in just those three states, because that actually might tell you something. Uh, What is hard to believe, though, is uh, that they're saying that um, I'm trying to find the number here. I can't I can't remember what the what the number was, but that Joe Biden would win in the general election. (laughs) I'm sorry. That does not compute. I mean, how and that that boggles the mind. I mean, even when the Democrats don't want him to run, how he could be ahead in these polls is is mind boggling. It, it, It is it is so infuriating in terms of how the American voter, the American citizen, don't care. I mean, it is truly mind boggling. That as long as I have my goodies, as long as I have my favorite TV show, as long as I can get out and play my favorite hobby, I don't really care whether or not we're going to hell in the handbasket. It's it's hard to fathom. Uh, getting back to what we were talking about with uh, E.J. Antoni with this uh, sovereign bank issue. Um, sovereign bank. They, they wish they were sovereign. With this uh, uh, S. VB, the Silicon Valley Bank and the Signature Bank. Um, Liz Warren, who you know, everybody wants to blame Donald Trump. I mean, he you know, did everything wrong. He caused the train derailment. He caused the problem at the border. He causes the crime. Uh, and Liz would like to blame it on a Republican of some sort. Find, find me a scapegoat, preferably Donald Trump. Uh, the Guardian is reporting that uh, this was eight years back. But this guy, uh, Becker, who sold the $3.6 million worth of stock, I'm sorry, it would be poetic justice if this, guy's goes, this guy goes to jail. Maybe he will. Somehow, I, uh, I fear he won't. But uh, back in 2015, he was up before Congress begging them for deregulation for his bank. And guess what? After spending $500,000, 
on lobbyists, he got it. So, Liz, if you want somebody to blame, go blame him. By the way, the um, SVB Bank, would you like to take a wild guess at how much the Silicon Valley Bank and their uh, subsidiaries have given to Black Lives Matter? $73,450,000. That's what uh, the Silicon Valley Bank has given to uh, Black Lives Matter. You don't think that they're uh, woke? I mean, Black Lives Matter, radical leftist organization, played a key role in the destructive and domestic terrorist-filled 2020 riots. Founders are avowed Marxist. I mean, you've got to ask yourself, you've got to wonder. I mean, you just have to ponder, did, did they drive this bank into the ground on purpose? With the, with the goal? I mean, listen, these people hate the United States. They hate America and what America stands for traditionally. Did they, did they fly this plane into the ground knowing that somebody in the Biden administration would come bail them out? just so they could put the United States in more dire straits? you got to at least ask the question. By the way, um, the bank also contributed to Mark Warner up in Virginia, a dem, uh, gave big bucks to uh, Chucky the Clown Schumer, and uh, also uh, in 2020, Joe Biden received some uh, $67,000 from Silicon Valley Bank. Hmm. How about that? Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. These Wokies. <laughs> oh, would you please get, get a life? Whoopi Goldberg has taped an apology because she used the word gypped. I mean, I saw the headline and I thought, did she drop the F-bomb? She used the word gypped. And uh, she's... I am an old broad. Yeah, you're an old broad. Uh, and uh, the, the idea is, she was, t- she was talking about Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump, and I, I'm not sure what the the big deal was. Heaven forbid she apologized for slandering people. But she were, used the word gypped, and apparently that is on the politically correct, incorrect list, uh, because apparently it's a slur against gypsies. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I... If, if I offend any gypsies that I come across and I use the word gyp in front of them, I, my, uh, let me apologize up front. Um, I referred to this earlier. So when Jane Fonda was on there talking about how we ought to murder the pro-lifers so that they can murder their babies, Whoopi Goldberg didn't have any problem with that. But what she did have a problem, and she went after Mike Pence, because Mike Pence told a joke at an event he was at, and Whoopi was highly offended. Here's the joke, and Pete Buttigieg is the 
the butt of the joke. No pun intended there. So here's the here's the joke. Mike Pence talking of Pete Buttigieg. He took two months maternity leave, whereupon thousands of travelers were standed, stranded in airports. The air traffic system shut down. The airplanes nearly collided on our runways. Pete is the only person in human history to have a child, and everyone else gets postpartum depression. Now, I, when, when I heard that she was upset, I thought, well, well certainly, he, he, it really surprised me, because then Mike Pence would say something negative about anybody. And I thought, well, what, did he say something slanderous about gays? That's what he said. And for this, Whoopi Goldberg gets upset. But not only that, the White House demands an apology because they say this was attack upon gays. <laughs> Listen, if anything, I would say this joke actually supports the idea of gays being allowed to adopt a child. I mean, he didn't say anything negative about it. The, the joke was about the crappy job he does as transportation secretary. And he pointed out the fact that, okay, you had a kid, you took two months off, and uh, everybody else gets depression because of what resulted. Your asinine, unprofessional, incompetent ways. But I, here's the thing. Whenever the left can act as a snowflake, can act as the victim, <laughs> they're, they're going to do it. They're gonna they're gonna make the conservatives the villain, and they're gonna be the the poor victim, the poor helpless victim. Unbelievable. Hey, our thanks again to E.J. Antonia, Antony, I should say, for uh, our interview today from the Heritage Foundation. Thank you for joining us. We'll do it again tomorrow. Play a little political trivia. We'll see you then. Bye bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.